0: So if you guys have your Bibles, and I really, really hope that you do, because that's what we're here for. Um, open up to Daniel chapter twelve. Daniel chapter twelve. And so, um, you know, one of the things uh, we we for those who are visiting, maybe this is your first time here. Um, we the method that we um, try and tackle um, our, our teaching is this: that we, we we will go through a book of the Bible. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, it's, it's just uh, my belief that that's the best model, at least for, for me, to be able to, to look at the Scripture and to, to not play favorites and not avoid topics, but to just get into God's Word, dig as deep as we can get, and figure out what the Lord has for us. And, and so we've, on our journey, we're, we're just under two years old now, which is crazy to think about. We're, we are toddlers. Uh, and, and I might be the biggest toddler of their family, right? Um, and, and so we, we spent like about 15 months going through the Gospel of John. And then when we got done with that, we went through Habakkuk. Somewhat quickly we went through Jonah. And now we've spent most of the summer going through Daniel. We've spent about, I guess, about 14, 15 weeks now in, in Daniel. And we're going to wrap it up this morning. And then next week, uh, I'm really excited because, because uh, starting next week, we're going to go into the book of Acts. And I think for us, um, for where we're at as a faith family, um, seeing the church, our church in its infant stages and growing. Now we're going to look at the, the church as a whole in its infant stages and, and see how the Lord blesses and uses that. And so I'm looking forward to, to a journey that will take us um, probably as long, if not longer, than the Gospel of John. But it's going to be good. All right. So, um, so let's go ahead and pray. And then let's see how much trouble I can get myself in today. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the things that you've done for us. Um, Lord, I pray that in these next few moments as we, um, as we get into your, your word, that, um, that you just work in a, in a mighty way, Lord. I pray that, that you tenderize our hearts. I, I pray that you maybe open up the scales in our eyes and... and Help us to look into your word. God, I pray that, um, that, today it's, it's not filled with, um, stories that we just kind of cap it off with a verse or two, but Lord, that, that it's your word, that we dig into your word, that, that, that your, your holy inspired and errant word is the star of the show. God, I pray that you give me your wisdom. I pray that you give me your passion. Um, I pray that you, um, Help us as we kind of dig through the last part of um, some somewhat difficult stuff. Um, Lord, I pray that that we walk away today growing closer with you and uh, that you renew our passion for you, Lord. We love you and thank you for everything that you've done. And we look forward to what you'll do this morning. In your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. So, um, as I've told our family, the faith family here, Daniel is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Or let me rephrase that. The first half of Daniel is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Like you have all these really familiar stories. Um, You you can recall in Daniel chapter 1 when you have young Daniel who's somewhere between probably 12, maybe 15 years old. and, um, And Babylon goes and they conquer um, Israel and he's taken away from his home to Babylon and um, he's in exile he's he's away from his family he's away, he's in a foreign country getting a foreign education and giving a new name everything and so so we, we start there and then and we work for this book and you have all these familiar stories like like the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and and um, Daniel and the Lions, and so you have these really cool. And, and so for those of us maybe who are who are fortunate enough to grow up in homes where we went to church as little kids, like these, there's a lot of these like children's church type stories. And so that's I, I love those kind of things. But then like the second half of Daniel, it goes pretty deep, pretty fast, and um and it's filled with prophecy. And um, here's how many of you guys have flown on a plane before? Come on, raise your hands. This is participation. Okay, so here's the deal. Like when, when, when you fly on the plane, we're in church, say so to be honest. You guys remember like right before you had the takeoff, you have the, is it stewardess? Is that the politically correct term now? I don't know. Flight, Pro, flight attendant. <laughs> I'm sure there's a politically correct term for it. Um, and so, you know, the person gets up there and they go through all these rules just in case, right? Um, how many of you guys are listening intently to figure out what you're supposed to do, Warren, is, and the rest of us are like halfway through the Sky Mall magazine, right? Right. We're like we like we we. It's just not like it's the spiel that you know that they go through. Um, and sometimes I think we get that way with prophecy, like you, you, you read it and um, you, you know it's in the Bible, so you kind of read it, you go through it, but we're just not really. It's it's hard. It's kind of difficult to digest, and it's stuff that we don't really want to think about, like. When you're on an airplane, you don't really want to think about an airplane accident. You'd rather look at the cool catalog, right? But, but, just like that instruction that would be given to us prior to taking off, if something bad were to occur, it would be beneficial, wouldn't it? And so, um, so, so, prophecy in, in the same way can be beneficial to us in that. And we live in an amazing day and age. I believe that even looking in the scripture, you can tell that every generation, at least during the Bible, thought that Christ's return was imminent. They thought that it would happen in their day. And I think um, probably every preacher, when he gets to this part of scripture about prophecy, will talk about how Christ's return is near. Um, I will tell you this. I don't know when he'll return. But I know we're closer today than we were yesterday. And, and, and I, we live in a time where it feels as if you can see prophecy being revealed, stuff that we read about. And and um, what's fascinating about Daniel is this. As we've gotten into to Daniel, starting in Daniel chapter 10, through the end of the book, Daniel chapter 12, you have this last vision that Daniel receives. Um, and in chapter 11 that we spent a couple weeks on, two or so weeks on, um the first majority of that, you know, verse 36, verse 1 through 36, it was all prophecy to Daniel. It was stuff that would happen, you know, some 50 to you know, a few hundred years down the road. But to us, it's history. You know, we, we spent some time putting names into different characters that were, were were in Scripture. So it's history to us. But then this last part, the stuff that we began to kind of talk about last week at the end of... of, of the message was stuff that's still to come, and so we're going to start up here. And I'm in there's a little awkward transition in, in from chapter eleven to chapter twelve. So so we're going to reread part of chapter eleven and then hop back into chapter twelve. And um, and so Daniel chapter eleven. I'm going to start in verse um, thirty six, and this is where we see this transition. Prior to that, um, there's this foreshadowing figure, Antiochus Epiphanes was the, 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 the ruler's name. And, and he was this, this example that, that Daniel saw of this, this really wicked, evil, vile um, ruler, um, one who would wreak havoc on the Jews, one that we talked about that would, would ultimately, out of frustration and not being able to extend the borders, would turn all this frustration out, on, on Jerusalem, specifically, he would go to the Jews and he would end up ultimately going into the temple. And and once he went into the temple, he stopped all their sacrifices, and, and he constructed this this um, statue of Zeus, and then slaughtered a pig in the holy of holies, and and so it's referred to as the um, abomination of desolation there, and it's a it's a, a foreshadowing of, of things that will occur. And so, starting in verse thirty six, it, it transitions away from this Antiochus Epiphanes like foreshadowed antichrist figure into the antichrist one thing I'm going to tell you guys this as, as a pastor um, the next time we go through rounds of, of um, baby dedications I'm going to make sure we're not going through prophecy because for some of you who are visiting us like, it's probably awkward like oh wow I see a baby dedicated and now we're talking about the antichrist so it's going to be good times Right, So here we go. Starting at 11, verse 36, it says this, And the king shall do as he wills, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against God, the God of gods. And he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. And he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved of, by women. And that's, last week, if you recall, I, I, was, I was telling you as we talked about it, this is, again, referring to the Antichrist, that, that most scholars will say that, that, that the Antichrist will probably come from Jewish descent when it talks about he's rejecting the God of his fathers.
1: Um,
0: he shall pay no attention to any other gods, and he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom the fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. Verse 39 says, And he shall deal with the strongest fortresses, with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. And so, as this Antichrist figure um, gains more power, he doesn't just hoard it himself, but he kind of distributes it to those who are following him to, to encourage their alliances. Uh, Verse 40 says, And at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. Verse 41, He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. And he shall stretch out his hand against the countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become the ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. And so, again, you have this, this stuff and, and the Antichrist comes in and he gets all sorts of power. And, and for this season, um, he is exalted in, in, in all these, these these nations and countries and people will bow to him and, uh, and celebrate him. But some turbulence begins. And you have these Empires, the the north and the south, and there's all sorts of speculation of who those might be. Um, to the south, is it just Egypt? Is it just the Arab nations kind of uniting? Um, to the north, is it Russia coming down? But 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 nonetheless, we have these this little, this, this this skirmish where people are getting um, upset with him. And, and, and they're starting to, to conquer and, 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 and strive against him. And, and initially, he comes out successfully. Initially, the Antichrist is victorious over these, these people. And, and, and this is what I said earlier, um, as, as, I, as I believe that we begin to see some of, of um, our, our prophecy being revealed. And I, I, again, this is just, I'm, I'm not speculating on dates or anything like that. But we just got done reading this, this information there about Egypt. Right? I mean, it specifically mentions Egypt. Um, if you go back in your Bibles, and, and I'll maybe I encourage you to, 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 to do this, go back to Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19, we're going to read this part of it. And there's this, this oracle, this prediction here about Egypt. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 19, I'm going to just start in verse 1. And it says, An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will be will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within him. Verse 2 says, And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another and each against the, his neighbor, city against city, neighbor, or kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Verse 4, And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. Verse 5 says, And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will... Rot away, and there will be bare places by the Nile on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched and will be driven away, and will be no more. And so that prediction of things to occur for Egypt um, talks about this very vile king coming, and it specifically talks about this this Nile River drying up. You know what's interesting to me, and maybe this is just coincidental, um, but do you know, and I believe it was March of this year, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt all signed an agreement for Ethiopia to build a dam on the Nile River. To me, that's fascinating. um, Because... This is a semi-historic event because leading up to this event, there was a lot of um, anxiety from Egypt because if the dam was built in Ethiopia and if Ethiopia turned against Egypt and decided to dam off the Nile River, then there goes all the power over to Egypt. And, and, and if you recall, as we have gone through this time, we've talked about the end times, we've talked about this spirit of the Antichrist. When, when men... Um, and nations would make agreements only to turn away from those agreements. Um, it could just be coincidental, but, but in my mind, I, I begin, you begin to see how some of this stuff is playing out. That, that, you know, this idea of Egypt and a dam being built that could potentially dam off the Nile River and cause this, what we read about in Egypt, in, in Isaiah chapter And so, so folks, this is, this to me is, is this time that we live in for some of us, we can get um, uh, somewhat bothered and nervous. But one of the things I think we, I hope that we can kind of look at this is, is, is this is an exciting time. Like to to think about where we are in the midst, I believe, of, of living some of the stuff that Daniel saw hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so let's continue on here. Verse 44 says, But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury and destroy and devout many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, and he shall come to his end with none to help him. Verse 1 of chapter 12 now. It says, And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. And so this, what ends up occurring there, verses from the end of chapter 11 going into chapter 12 is this, this battle of Armageddon. And during this time, um, the Antichrist sets up shop. And it, when it mentions there the, the, the glorious mount. Um, it's in the midst of Jerusalem. It's, on, it's on, on the temple mount where the temple would have already been reconstructed. The same temple that the Antichrist, halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years in, will we'll march in, will stop allowing the Jews to to do their, their sacrifices. And will construct a, a statue of himself and will at that point declare the people to worship him. And so in the midst of that, we, we, he sets up shop there on the Temple Mount. And, and, and um, again, at first, people are, 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 are endorsing him, are encouraging him, are, are worshiping him. But things begin to go awry. And you have those from the north and those from the east will come and you have this massive battle that will begin to take place and this is what's awesome to me so in the midst of all this and, and you have Jerusalem who's just stuck there and as this battle's about to occur, all of a sudden we see Michael, the archangel and we learn a little bit about Michael the archangel here because, because Michael was given the task whenever we see Michael in the Bible he's, he's the warrior angel and he has specifically been given charge to overlook and oversee and protect Israel. And he shows up. You know what's, I think, interesting? Sometimes as we consider the power of the devil, there are times I think that we can drift into this kind of belief that, um, that the devil's almost as. as as strong as G, like he's the the opposite of Jesus in that, like they're both strong, but Jesus is the power of good and the devil's the power of bad. And yes, Jesus is the power of good and the devil is the power of bad, but they don't have the same powers and abilities. the The devil Lucifer was a created being. The one that he um, would be very similar to would be that of Michael. This archangel. And so you have this battle that will, will take place in this battle of Armageddon. And, and during this time, just the, that three and a half years, it's interesting there um, in verse 1 of chapter 12, and it says, And there should be a time of trouble such as never been seen before. Jesus in Matthew 24 quotes the same thing. And Jesus says, listen, when this occurs, when this this abomination of desolation, this this event, when when the statue goes up, the Antichrist will unleash fury that's never been seen before. And he will direct it specifically towards the Jews. But it won't be just them that's affected. There'll be collateral damage. Now, we don't have the time to dive into it. But I would encourage you, maybe even this week, to read this. Go into your Bibles. Go into to Revelation. Read chapter 13 through 16. Uh, it will describe stuff that, that um, takes place during this last three and a half years. There, there will be wars like this earth has never seen before, uh, there will be famine. There'll be disease. In Revelation, it talks about this pale horse that will arrive, that will bring disease with it, that will wipe out a quarter of the world, twenty-five percent of the world population. This stuff will occur like that we have, that we can't even comprehend. Um, all through this is what to me again. I'm a history guy. I love history, and as we look in the Bible, as we as we read through the Old Testament, and we even see it in the New Testament. Um, there's this continual theme with Israel, right? Like they are continually getting beaten up, aren't they? We see it all throughout scripture. Like they have, they have good times, um, they, they stay close to the Lord, and they drift away, and then they get beat up again. And there's this continual attack. We see it in the Bible. We see it just beyond just the Bible days. I mean, we, we see it going into to World War II. We see it with, with Hitler in the Holocaust. And what we have to understand is this. The devil knows that that the people of Israel were God's chosen people. The devil knows God's plan. And he is desperately trying to derail it. And so he does it by continually hammering on the Jewish nation of Israel. I mean, even in our day-to-day, we see that, don't we? And to me, what causes angst is as we consider history, as we consider the time after the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, as we consider that time of Nero when when. The temple would be destroyed in, in AD 70 and the church would spread out. As we, we can consider the persecution that those those early church leaders went through, like crazy. Like if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I would challenge you to try and read some of it. When, when you consider horrific stories. Of how Nero would take these Christians and stick them on poles and burn them as candles to light his garden. That's sick and twisted, isn't it? But here's the deal. As, as sick and twisted as that is, as, as, as sick and twisted as, as, as a man like Hitler was and the damage that he did, it will pale in comparison to what the Antichrist does during this, especially these last three and a half years of the tribulation. Verse 3. And this is where the story turns good. Well, let's start in verse 2. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame an everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. And so Daniel here talks about a resurrection. And he, he, he tells us that 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 there'll be a resurrection for all of us, for everyone. But there's going to be two different destinations in this resurrection. In the passage, it says, um, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We live in an age of, of grace. Um, God has given us an opportunity that that everyone in this room will ultimately make we we all have a decision you see we we either will accept Jesus Christ for who he is as our as a savior we, we will we, we will either accept him as God's only son who who God sent from from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins we're going to either accept him for that we're going to accept him as what Jesus himself claimed in John 14:6 when he said I'm the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father Made. we'll either accept that or reject it there's, there's no middle ground in that Jesus didn't leave any gray area when he made that statement and so we either accept Jesus for who he is and if we do the Bible tells us and, and I love Romans is phenomenal because you have this thing kind of called the Romans world that leads us through this thing where, where Romans three twenty three tells us that we're all sinners, like every one of us. My heart, my greatest heart's desire for our church is that we all come to grips with that. That we realize that we're all messed up people, and not that we celebrate our sin, but we are authentic in our lives. And we're all sinners. Um, in, in Romans 6.23, Paul goes on to say that the wages of those sin is death. So the result of, of our sin, the result of our nature, or the result of our rebellion against God is death. But, maybe one of the greatest words in all the scripture, it says, but, the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still running from God, while we're still rejecting God, while we're still spitting in his face, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we have this opportunity. We, we, we in our lives, everyone comes to a crossroad that we either accept Jesus for who he is, and if we do, we're promised eternity with him but if we reject it if we say no if if we say that I'd rather not worship him but I would rather worship whatever it is in life your vocation your family your spouse your children your bank account your vehicle your home your whatever The Bible tells us the result of rejecting Christ is damnation in hell. There's a somewhat scary philosophy, I think, that's kind of bubbling up that, that that says that's that's kind of saying that, but if you reject Christ, there's there's some that will say, but, but God is a God of love, and at the end of the day, he will love you too much to send you to hell. I don't see how you can find that anywhere in Scripture. There's also this this belief that says um, that you, um, if you reject Christ, that that, yeah, you will suffer for a season, but then ultimately uh, you'll be consumed um, with fire or whatever else and then just waste away. That's not what Daniel says there. He says everlasting contempt. Folks, as we go through this idea of prophecy, as we consider things that have already occurred, but more important this morning, as we consider things that are yet to come. Prior to this time of tribulation, it's my belief that Christ will rapture up the church that those who have believed in Christ, who have accepted Him as their Lord and Savior, that He will, he will rapture them to Him. And one of those blessings, the, the blessing of, of being a believer in Christ, we have, we have earthly blessings, that we, we have a Savior here that will bless us, that will show us, that will encourage us, that will guide us in life here. But we also have the blessing of spending eternity with Him in heaven. And the bonus, the the icing on the cake is if he should come in our lifetime, we get to avoid all this nasty stuff that we read and see here and we read about in Revelation. But if you don't accept Christ and he raptures the church, then all that stuff you read about, you will see. I I don't necessarily believe in scaring people into making a choice about heaven and hell. I just want to be real with you. Like I, I just I, this is not a matter of me being right, you being wrong. This is not a matter that that I'm better than you. Um, we started this church because I believe that we. Live in a community that's dying and going to hell. In a a day and age of political correctness like that's not something most people want to hear. When they estimate only about 18,000 out of the close to 200,000 in Tallahassee and surrounding communities are involved in church. Meaning they at least go to church once a month. It tells me that it's getting very, very dark. What I like here, though, is in the midst of this stuff that's hard to swallow, I love how he goes on and says, And those who are wise, verse 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn away many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. <clears throat> those stars, how many of you guys have been out in the country where it gets real dark? We, one of my most favorite things we have done the last couple of years, we do a D-NOW for our youth. And usually we do it like in February. And we go over to Khaki and Bop's Farm. And it's out in the country. And when it gets dark, it gets pretty dark out there. But you know what? When it gets dark and you go outside and you look up in the stars, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, you look at the sky and it's lit up. I was reading... Um, this week, as I was prepping for this, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a man by the name of Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith was kind of the father of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I was reading um, in one of his commentaries about, about this particular passage, and, and he was making this comparison to um, the stars in the sky and fireworks. Fourth um, of July, those seasons, like we love, like those are awesome, those are cool. It's amazing to see that, right? But so many people are, are, are like the fireworks. It's, the, it's all flash. And it goes off and boom, makes this really beautiful, pretty thing. But within seconds, it's all gone, right? The smoke dissipates and there's nothing left. But these stars, they burn on forever and ever and these stars that Daniel talks about are these righteous people, godly people, that, that they go and they share their faith. And they, they live lives that show that they love God. That it's not fake. It's not this, this thing that we just go through, this routine that we go through, this social event of showing up to church. It's, it's, it's real. It's authentic. And because of this realness, it begins to affect other people. God's called us to be stars. As the world that we live in gets darker and darker. the light that we get to deflect, God's light, I pray grows brighter and brighter. I was at my nephew's um, little jamboree football game yesterday. It was way too hot. Way too hot. But I got in this conversation with, with somebody that was there. We were talking about different things. i just kind of talking about the world that we live in. And, and how um, messed up it feels like society is going, our our country, our nation, the, the decisions that we're making and how further and further we're getting away from, from God. And I don't know how it turned into this, but somehow we got in this this kind of talk about prophecy. And and here's the deal. We can search through scriptures. This isn't necessarily a popular thought, but we can search through the scriptures. And, and when we get into this idea of prophecy, um, As best I can read the scripture, and I could be wrong, I can't find America in the Bible in relation to the end times. As these big nations come, I don't see us represented there. Now, some of us will take that as it's getting so bad, so awful, um, that we're just going to become this really weak nation turning away from God and whatever. You'll have people talk about maybe atomic bombs and nuclear stuff goes off or whatever else. We're blown away. That That could be what happened. If something could happen that causes us to be utterly destroyed or this, and this is what I pray for. This is maybe I'm just trying to be the ultimate optimistic individual but this is what I pray for. Thinking here of Daniel, of these bright stars is this that there's a great revival in our country. That, that we as Christians, that we stand firm in our faith, that we grow, that we are real with God. Like this is not just a show that we're going through, but we, we genuinely grab the ankles of Christ. And we, we, we grow. And we share our faith. And the result is that other people come to know Christ. And we see this great revival that spreads. And then as Christ comes to rapture the church, there's very few people left in America because we've all turned to Christ. That's my prayer. I'd rather be optimistic about that. I'd rather us as a church be just so gung-ho that we're going to share Jesus Christ with everybody so they don't have to worry about facing this tribulation. They don't have to worry about spending eternity in hell. I think that in our lives, we get so busy. Um, we are a young faith family. Most of us are. My age is fleeting a little bit. Um, there are Sundays that I was telling Tessa, there are probably some Sundays here at church that we have more children downstairs than adults upstairs. Uh, We have a lot of just young kids. Uh, I think, with that, um, as a father of four young kids, uh, schedulers just get busy, don't they? You got work demands, you got home demands, you got practice, you got schoolwork, you got whatever else. And, And we just go a million miles an hour in a million different directions. We get so busy, we get so caught up with stuff that we can easily allow the compass to get off. One of the, the points of prophecy, at least in my life, is this. It acts as a great reminder of the things that will happen. I believe to a great extent, God and the Holy Spirit uses, uses prophecy as a motivator for us in our own walks, in our own testimonies to remind us that, guys, this is what's going to happen. Like, there's, there's no tricks here. Like there's there's no there's no surprise. This is what will happen. We have the answers, guys. We know what will happen. And I pray that it motivates us. Like I pray I pray that we grab a hold of this idea of heaven and hell, and understand how important it is. And then if we say that we truly love someone, whether it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a classmate, like if we truly, truly love them, then we are going to share Christ with them. And for those of us who are too embarrassed to say anything, what you're saying to that person is, go to hell. I have no idea how much time we have left on this earth. Christ may come, This morning, it may be a thousand years. But I pray that this changes our perspective. I pray that we get serious about this. Verse four as this is being revealed. Says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. The vision ends. Says, Daniel read the book, says it's over. There's no more. Close it up, lock it up. Verse 5 says, And Daniel, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, the other on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, this goes back to Daniel chapter 10, at the very beginning of the stream. You remember he's at the Tigris River having this vision. Uh, the one here in linen, I, I believe personally that this is Jesus, who is above the waters of the stream. How long shall it be how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it should be for a time, times, and a half a time. We saw this earlier in the book of Daniel, and that's a reference of three and a half years. And that when the shattering of that power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Verse 8, I. I appreciate these little nuggets in Scripture. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Daniel says, I'm hearing this, but I'm, I'm not getting it. I don't comprehend it. I don't understand. And he says, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end, until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. So that time when the Antichrist goes into the temple, constructs the statue of himself, and halts the Jewish sacrifices, he says this there shall be 129 days blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of these days and so jesus i believe is the one saying this and he says listen we don't have an idea when christ will return when christ will rapture the church but he gives us some specific dates. Just like we looked and talked about earlier in the book of Daniel. He says this. From the time that happens, from the time that, that you have this abomination of desolation, 1,290 1, days will go by and Christ will return. I will come back. A definitive, like, this is, write it down. Like, like if you're here, if you're there, if this happens, like, you can start the calendar. Because in on 1,290 days, Christ will return. You have these other days, um... Um, mentioned there 1,335 days. What's the delay? What's the 45-day delay? I, I, I don't know. I'm like Daniel. I don't know. Um, my speculation is this, that as he returns um, in that time period, you'll have this time where they begin to um, clean the temple once again. The people will be able to They'll be scattered. Those who, who have believed in Christ during that time will be scattered. And so over that 45-day period, it will take that amount of time for the, the kingdom to be restored and the people to be able to come. And then judgment will arrive. A lot to swallow, isn't it, guys? Daniel, to me, is a phenomenal book. Um, beyond just the prophecy... I think there's lots of lessons that we can learn about Daniel. I still go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. As a young, young man, probably not even a teenager yet, he had purpose in his his heart that would play out his entire life. He would would have to make difficult decisions. He He would literally stick his neck on the line in the next chapter, chapter 2, when he has to, to give this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. His buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would refuse to bow down to this other god and would be tossed in the fiery furnace. And Daniel, as he gets older in life, as, as we get to Daniel chapter 6, as he's in his probably mid-80s, is still living the same purpose, Passion-filled life of Daniel chapter 1. And as the Babylonian Empire is conquered and the Persians come in and take control, and this new king, Darius, is, is, is placed on the throne, and and these wise men in his council tell him, Let's let's have everybody for 30 days just worship you. And if they don't throw them in the lions den. The only one they can send requests to, the only one they can pray to, the only one they can worship is you. And the king thinks this is a great way to unify the kingdom, even though he's friends with Daniel. And Daniel gets the word of this. And the Bible doesn't tell us that Daniel rushes home because he's scared and he needs to pray to God now because something bad happened. Rather, Daniel chapter 6 tells us that Daniel went home as he always did. Daniel chapter 9, to me, one of the most passionate prayers in all the Bible. As Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah, showing us that Daniel knew Scripture. He understood that this prophecy of, of their being captives was about to come to an end, and he looked around and he saw his own nation, his own people, had turned their backs on God. He was broken, and he was, he was fasting and praying for his people. I pray that as we exit this journey through the book of Daniel, that we grab a hold of some of those same principles that ruled the life of Daniel. That we are people of purpose. That we are people of prayer. That we are in our scripture. we are reading our Bibles. See if we if we're a people of prayer, if we're a people of purpose, and if we're people of God's word. Just like we read this morning, we get to be those stars that shine bright forever. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for all the things that you've done for us. I thank you for your word, Lord. Is as, as difficult as prophecy is for me to understand. I'm thankful that you give it to us, that you allow us to have it, that you use it to motivate us, to help us understand the things that will arrive at some point in time. But everyone in this room has to make a choice, God. We're either going to serve you or serve something else. Lord, I pray this morning that you cement within us service to you. That you motivate us, help us to to live lives aware that your return is closer and closer every second. That heaven is real. And as real as heaven is, so is hell. May you break our hearts. May you help us to passionately live lives that bring honor and glory to you so we can be those stars that shine
1: forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.